All right, good morning. We're going to, I guess, start a little a bit later this, this morning, and so we'll just jump right into it. Uh, but good to see everyone this morning. Uh, as you can see up on the board, we are sort of, again, as we announced here a couple weeks ago, we are shifting gears in the Sunday morning Bible class. Uh, the, the Wednesday night class will still be the Life of Christ class, and we'll finish that out here uh, hopefully by the end of May, June, somewhere in there. But this morning, uh, our Sunday morning Bible class, we are shifting gears towards talking about the eldership. And again, we mentioned here that the, uh, the, the, the men at the last men's meeting, we agreed to start that process again uh, that uh, I wasn't here for. But again, back in 2020, uh, the men here were going to search for elders uh, for the congregation to start the teaching of that. And of course, we know that COVID happened. And so that all had to be pushed on the back burner uh, while that was being sorted out. And so we are getting back into that here starting uh, today. Um, I'm not going to have time to finish my lesson this morning that I had planned for today. Obviously, there's just so much, uh, but we are going to do our best and then we'll pick up with uh, what we don't finish uh, next, uh, next Sunday. But here's a question for you uh, before we jump into the material. Uh, who was, and maybe we have some historians in here, but who was the uh, 20th president of the United States? Does anybody remember who the 20th president of the United States was? Without looking on your phones. I'll give you some hints. Here, here, here's a picture of him. Maybe that'll help a little bit. Probably not, but... Sorry, heads. No, there we go. James A. Garfield, right. So I didn't have to give out some hints. Uh, James A. Garfield uh, was elected president back in 1881. Uh, he actually didn't get to serve very long because he is one of the few uh, presidents that was assassinated. But James A. Garfield was a part of the, the, the restoration movement uh, of churches who went back you know, to the Bible and only wanted to do things by Bible ways and by Bible names. And he was an elder in the Lord's church. Okay? And this is what he said in 1881, right before he was elected to be president. He said this, I resign the highest office in the land to become president of the United States. That's quite a saying, isn't it? He was an elder in the Lord's church. But he was elected to the U.S. presidency, and so he says, I am resigning the highest office in the land, which he's referring to the eldership, to become president of the United States. Right? That is an individual who understood the importance of the eldership. Now, we all know that leadership is vital right? in any sort of institution, whether it's in business, whether it's in a school district, whether it's in sports teams. You know, we want great leadership, but that's also vital within uh, what God has ordained, sort of these God-ordained institutions. Can, can anyone name, what's the first God-ordained institution that he created? And we can go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1 and 2 to talk about that. The family, the home, right? God ordained the family, the home, Right? And in that realm, he put leadership in that. Right? 
That the man was to be the leader of the home. We can think of the government, right? God instituted the government as a lot, well, kind of ties into what Wes talked about this morning. God ordained uh, government, and he also, um, he also you know, told, told his people that to honor the king, right? To, to respect the leaders. Romans chapter 13 is all about that, how a Christian ought to respect that leadership role that's in there. But then thirdly, another God-ordained institution, of course, is the church. And again, we understand that God had placed a leadership role within the church that we read about in the scriptures as the elders, as the eldership. And so our goal this morning, and really for this whole lesson, is not to define leadership. Right? We're not going to talk about what it means to be a leader and how to be a leader. Uh, we're going to presuppose that you understand that, right? that you understand who a leader is, uh, what they do. But really, our focus this morning and the rest of this class is to talk about this God-ordained institution of an eldership within a church. Christian leadership is quite different, isn't it? We've studied, when we've been going through the life of Christ, you know, Jesus really talking a lot about that. We've seen that when, excuse me, when he talked to his disciples. Remember, they had... The spat between the two of them, uh, you know, I want to be at your left and I want to be at your right. And the other uh, apostles were getting upset with those two that they would even bring up such a thing. And Jesus had to go in and talk to them and, and tell them, that, right, that, uh, you know, the, the Gentiles, you know, in their practice is to lord over people. Right? But the leadership that I am presenting to you, that I am teaching you, is that of service. Right, of a service uh, mind. Right? It's not about power and authority Jesus was getting at, but it's about other qualities, right? a service uh, leadership. And, and the eldership, as we're going to discuss uh, throughout the next few weeks, you know, it's not a place to, about being popular. Right? We don't uh, want to put men in the eldership because of popularity or because of power, or because of respect, or because of, you know, of a title, or an ego, or because of thanks, right? Because it's going to be a thankless position for uh, the men who, um, who, who, who are put into uh, the eldership. But it's about, again, that, that service attitude. It's about pointing people to Jesus, right? Getting people to heaven. And so that's what we're going to, again, sort of lead on uh, this morning, just to briefly talk about how this class is going to be structured uh, through th- this month and the month of May. Uh, that's about nine classes, uh, as long as we you know, get to each one of those. And we are going to, again, discuss the different aspects of, uh, of the eldership. Now, uh, one thing I wanted to point out is that, you know, when... You sort of see some younger preachers. You know, I began a little bit older in life, a little bit more mature. But when you notice that some younger preachers, when they begin, you know, it's kind of awkward when they get up and they have to preach a lesson on marriage, right? Because they haven't been married before. Or when they preach on parenting, you know, without having children. You know, that's sort of a tough position to put them in. But they're biblical subjects, and so they need to be preached on, taught about. Well, 
you know, I sort of feel the same way when it comes to the eldership, right? I don't know if there's anyone in here who has ever been an elder, but I, at least to my knowledge, I don't think so. I've never been an elder. And so the perspective that we're going to look at is, you know, stri- strictly from the scriptures, right? Because uh, no one uh, has that, um, that knowledge, that experience of being an elder in the Lord's church. And so that's what we're going to do over the next few weeks. And so just kind of give you a brief scenario of what we're going to do. For the next two or three weeks, we're going to introduce the concept of the eldership. And again, uh, my time is fleeting here this morning uh, because we went a little bit over in the worship hour. Uh, so we'll definitely pick up next week. But we'll spend a couple of two to three weeks of talking about the eldership. We're going to explain the process that the men agreed to do as far as how this is going to go uh, forth. You know, how are we going to, uh, uh, to uh, appoint elders to the congregation here? How that process is going to work? We'll talk about that in the next two or three weeks. Uh, after that, we'll discuss the qualifications of elders. Right? That's a big piece of this. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, Titus chapter 1. And, uh, you know, again, I'll implore you, urge you to start reading those verses. Start looking at what uh, Paul had to say is about who uh, is to be qualified for this uh, This. Um, this position. So we're going to discuss the qualifications of elders. We're going to talk about the congregation's responsibility to the eldership, right? You can't be a leader and lead if you don't have followers to follow, right? You can't be a shepherd to, to, to shepherd sheep if you don't have the sheep to shepherd, right? And so there are some things that the congregation needs to understand as well as part of that process. Uh, we'll, we'll discuss uh, deacons, right? Another aspect of the organization, the leadership organization of the church. If we have elders, we can have deacons. And again, that's a great thing, and we want to talk about that. And then if we have time at the end, uh, we'll maybe uh, discuss some specific questions you might have. You know, if we're going throughout this lesson and there's something that you think you want to uh, know a little bit more about, let me know. Or if you just want to write it and put it in the Q&A box, and we'll try to get to that. I'm hoping that Wes will be able to teach one of these classes as well and get his, uh, his um, perspective as someone who has served under an eldership uh, in, a, in a preaching capacity. And so uh, Wes is hopefully going to be able to do that. And so that's really uh, kind of the, the lineup of this class. And then uh, that'll get us to the first week of June, right? And then in June, our goal is to begin that nomination process which hopefully, you know, we'll all be fully versed about how that's going to happen by then. And, um, and I've mentioned this before, and I've mentioned this in, in the meeting. You know, we might get to the end of this process and find that we have no one qualified for the eldership. Or, or, uh, and if that's, if that's the uh, result, then we need to ask ourselves a question as to why. You know, why not? Why don't we have anyone ready for us, right? Why, uh, or what are we waiting for? You know, we need to start a process of training men so that, uh, that they can fit uh, those qualifications and that they can lead the church as God would want it to. And so um, we understand, and we'll look at this in a couple of weeks, but in that first missionary journey that Paul goes on in Acts chapter 14, you know, he's installing churches, or, uh, bringing churches, bringing people together uh, uh, in every city that he goes to. And then when he comes back around, only a few months later, or maybe a year later, 
you know, he's installing elders in those churches. So it's not like it's a process that uh, needs years and years and years for a man to be qualified to do that, right? And so we'll, we'll talk about that here in a second. But really, one of the big things I wanted to talk about this morning, and if I can get this to work, is, uh, you know, what went wrong? What went wrong? I am fascinated about church history. Um, and when I, when I say church history, I'm talking about uh, the period of time about when, um, you know, the apostles died off up until now. And so I'm just going to use the, the year 100 AD, right? That's not a specific date that we actually know. But I'm just going to say around 100 AD from when inspiration has fully completed, uh, the apostles uh, have died. The Bible has now been, in, has been completed from that period until today. Uh, I'm going to refer to as church history. And it's a very fascinating study. I'm hoping that maybe I can do a Bible class on it, you know, next fall or something like that. Because when you understand what happened during that time period, you know, a lot of things start to click as far as uh, the New Testament church. But although it's a fascinating study, you know, it's also a very sad study. Because, you know, what we do is we see certain things happen throughout history where, where men have taken... Their opinions, uh, again, as Wes mentioned this morning, they, they take their opinions, they take their likes, they, they take this pattern that God had set for them in the New Testament church, and they change it a little bit. And as a result, it just keeps um, changing and changing throughout history. And you've, ever, you've heard of you know, the Dark Ages before, you know, that, that period of time called the Dark Ages, and, you know, one of the reasons why uh, it was referred to as the Dark Ages is because not everybody had, you know, a copy of the scriptures. Right? We take this for granted, don't we? That we have multiple copies of the Bible that we can get on our phones and, and look at scripture whenever we'd like. But during that period of time, there were only certain people who had the scriptures. And if you wanted to know something about the Bible... You couldn't just go and read the Bible. You had to go to them, and they would tell you. you know, and if, a, if a, um, a church actually had a copy of the Bible, it was usually locked or, or you know, uh, chained to the pulpit because that was the only copy. It was that important. Right? And so during this time, you had individuals who didn't have easy, easy access to Scripture. You had... Uh, what we'll talk about here in a moment, uh, you know, the papacy. You know, we refer to it as the Pope uh, today. We have individuals where, um, where the church at that time during the Dark Ages, they're doing things they ought not to do, right? They're, they're collecting taxes on the people. They're, uh, they're waging wars, going on these crusades uh, for, uh, for, for what they believe is right. They're, they're making their own doctrinal decisions, right? So all of these things are going on during this time. And because of that, when we get to the 1500s, there's this thing called the Reformation period where people start revolting against the Pope and, and the Roman Catholic Church. And because of that, you have all of these denominations just exploding during that time. Uh, the Baptist Church, the, the Methodist Church, the Lutheran Church, the Presbyterian Church, all of these denominations exploding. You've heard of men like John Calvin and Martin Luther. You know, this is that time period uh, that they lived. And so they're revolting against, again, the Roman Catholic Church. But because of that, 
again, just this denominationalism just explodes onto the scene. Well, Scripture prophesies this, doesn't it? And I feel like uh, a little bit what I'm going to give you this morning is a little bit of repeat of what Brother Todd gave on Monday night because he talked a little bit about this as well. But the, the Bible predicted that this would happen, right? That, that there would be a time where people would fall away from the truth. Uh, in Acts chapter 20, verse 28 through 30, you know, Paul, when he, he gathers the Ephesian elders to him and he says to them, Listen, be on guard for yourselves and for all of the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Right? Again, the, this, uh, this falling away, this, this movement away from the New Testament pattern was prophesied to happen. This isn't the only passage that talks about this. Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 1, or excuse me, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, writing to the young preacher Timothy, says, But the Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons, by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron, men who forbid marriage, and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. You see in verse 3, men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods. Again, we're not going to dive into too much about that, but I mean, you can see there, again, that um, this, this going away, this moving away from the New Testament pattern, binding things on individuals that... You know, Jesus never taught that the apostles never taught. Again, Paul in his second letter to Timothy, verses 3 and 4 of chapter 4. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires, and they're going to turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to miss. One more, and this is from the apostle Peter. 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 says, but false prophets are also arose among the people, just as there will be also false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be maligned, and in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. So again, the point I'm trying to make this morning is that uh, this moving away from uh, the New Testament pattern was prophesied and did happen, right? And, and one of the first and biggest errors, um, and hopefully you, you, you know where I'm going with this, but what do you think was one of the first and biggest errors of this falling away from the New Testament pattern? Yeah, so, so it was church organization, right? It was the leadership of the church. One of the first and biggest errors that occurred was the departure in God's plan for church organization. And Miss Helen, uh, she hit the nail right on the head. And I'll just mention that here in a moment because as we jump into here, we're going to talk about these different uh, Greek words. Again, Brother Todd brought this up Monday night, but these different Greek words that describe an individual who uh, we would refer to as an elder, 
And uh, one of those is often translated elder, okay? And another one is often translated bishop. Well, what happened was there was, even though those are interchangeable words, right? There, there was a time where in church history, about 150 to 250 AD, where men started to distinguish the two, right? So we, we had a group of elders, and then they would select one elder uh, within that group of elders to be a bishop, and, they, and to, you know, prop that bishop up a little bit higher. You know, they might call him the chairman of the elders or the president of the elders. And what would happen over time is then, well, that became a permanent position, right? It became a, a monarchical um, bishop within a church. From there, uh, we, we see that churches were autonomous, right? The, that these elders were only over their congregation. But again, as time developed, uh, elders started to, these, these bishops, these monarchical bishops, started to control not just one congregation, right, but, but then a second and a third and a fourth. And you can understand in some of those big city churches, like, like the, the church in Rome, you know, the, that, well, you know, it would just be easy for them to sort of coordinate and be the, the bishop over all these little country churches that surround them, right? And so we see throughout history, again, that men moved away from the New Testament pattern of having autonomous elderships to now having this hierarchy of men over various congregations and having this hierarchy of men over elderships. Again, referring to them as a bishop, which eventually that, that bishop over everyone became, as we would know it, as the Catholic Pope, right? And so you can, again, notice that there's a problem with that, right? Because now you've got one man who's in charge of the finances of the congregation and all of the congregations he oversees. You've got one man who's over the doctrine of that church and all the doctrines that he, or all the churches that he oversees. And it got to the point, right, that uh, we, we continue to see them move away, the, this falling away. And so it's actually pretty interesting because when this first happened, they thought that this was a good thing, right? They thought, well, if, uh, you know, if we've got maybe a couple of elders butting heads, what would be the solution? Well, let's just put one person ahead of him. So that, you know, one person is going to make the decisions. And so that we won't have sort of this uh, butting of heads or infighting. And so at the beginning of this process, when, when they started to move away from the New Testament pattern, you know, they thought that they were doing a good thing. They weren't doing it necessarily out of ignorance, but they were thinking that, hey, maybe we can approve upon God's plan. Right. But again, that, that what happens, uh, we know, was was devastating. What's the old saying? That absolute power corrupts absolutely, doesn't it? And so, um, so it's vital, right? It's vital that we understand here God's design for leadership. And again, look what happened when man took it upon himself to improve upon God's plan. And so uh, wars were fought, lives were lost, uh, Christianity, you know, the name of Christ was, was shamed because of what 
uh, happened because of that. And again, the Reformation period of the denominational world that we see today, all of that stems because man tried to approve upon God's will, God's design. And so what we again want to do, and I know we're, we're running short out of time this morning, but we'll finish up next week, is we want to talk about God's design for the church. The, the, talk about the organizationally what the church should look like in the leadership position. And there's, there's four ways that a church can be organized. I don't know if you've ever seen um, or, or been taught this before, but uh, there's four possibilities. Number one is that the, the, the leadership of the church can be unscriptural and unorganized. That's that first box there, unscriptural and unorganized. And what I, what I mean by this is that there's no leadership and the church likes it that way, right? We get to a point that uh, they outright ignore God's pattern. They say, say something to the effect of that things are going really good without them, and so we don't need them. Well, again, uh, there's no organization there in the leadership, and that's uh, an unscriptural pattern, right? Because, again, God has uh, provided that for us. Uh, we could think of an unscripturally organized group. Uh, unscriptural, because maybe there's, maybe, excuse me, they're organized as far as having an eldership, but uh, they put unqualified men into that eldership. You know, the, that's a common thing that happens where uh, maybe you have a smaller congregation, you have one man who's qualified, and you don't have necessarily have that second man because there's got to be a plurality of elders, and we'll talk about that here in a moment. And so uh, sometimes that second man will sort of be pushed through. Well, maybe he'll grow into it, they'll say. But he's not qualified to be an elder, right? And so, again, here's an unscriptural but yet organized um, organization of the church. And again, we want to, uh, again, we want to uh, not even think about that, that box as well. Uh, thirdly, there is scriptural but unorganized. There's no qualified men that exist to appoint to the eldership. And you know, this is what Paul refers to in his letter to Titus, Titus chapter 1, verse 5, when he says, I am leaving you here on the island of Crete, and I want you to, uh, to uh, you know, take care of the things that are lacking. I'm going to go ahead and just read that verse. And there's a lot of verses that we're going to see over and over again throughout this study. But Titus chapter 1, verse 5, Paul says, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. My translation says he would set in order, but some of yours say, uh, will set, will, uh, you know, take care of the things that are lacking. Right? And one of those things was for that church there in Crete, was they didn't have an eldership, right? And so Paul tells Titus, take care of those things that are lacking. Again, it's, it, it's a scriptural position if no qualified men exist for the eldership, but it's not desired, right? And then finally, this is, this is the, the place that we want to be, right? Uh, to be scriptural and to be organized. Elders, deacons, you know, this is what the, every church should strive for. Uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, 
You know, Paul is writing to this, this church here in Philippi, and notice how he addresses this letter. He says, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. Right? So Paul is writing to this church, and he's including the overseers, which we'll mention here in a moment are, is the same thing as the elders, and the deacons. And this is where, this is where a church wants to be. Uh, <laughs> I was going to mention, uh, you know, we get mail from time to time, uh, you know, addressed to the elders of the Columbia Church Christ. And sometimes I feel a little guilty when I open it because I'm not an elder of the Columbia Church of Christ. But I understand what they mean, right? They, they, when they send that letter out here, maybe it's from another church organization that's, you know, looking for funds or, or uh, just looking to spread their message. You know, they assume that there is an eldership here, right? At, at, at any local congregation of the Lord's Church, they assume that there's an eldership in place. So they address uh, th- that piece of mail to the eldership, Right, And so, again, that is where we want to be. That is our goal, to be scripturally uh, organized. Now, I know we're uh, really, really short on time, so I don't necessarily know if I want to jump right into this next part. But you remember Monday night when Brother Todd was preaching uh, his lessons in Ephesians chapter 4, and he talked about those, those three Greek words uh, that, that reference the elders. Right? And so... Um, we'll probably just touch on them here in a moment, but we'll spend most of our time next week really uh, discussing that. But uh, if, you, if you're in your Bibles and you want to turn to 1 Peter chapter 5, or you can just read along up here. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, as Peter is writing this, uh, this epistle to this congregation, he's going to use all three of these uh, Greek words to describe uh, to those who he's talking about. Right? And so he says, uh, therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. And so in this, th- these two verses... Peter is, you know, talking about the eldership, and he's going to use those three words to describe the aspect of this office. Elders, presbyteros, overseers, or oversight, being uh, episkopos, and then shepherd, uh, poimen. And so he uses all three of these words to describe uh, the elders. He does this, or excuse me, uh, Paul in Acts chapter 20, does this as well. Uh, in Acts chapter 20, starting in verse 17, uh, from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. Right? He brings the elders of the church together uh, to him. And then verse 28, we already read this verse a little bit er- earlier, but notice it says, Be on guard for yourselves and for all of the flock among you, which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. And again, I'll just mention this uh, before we close, is um, whenever you read through Scripture, uh, there's, depending on which translation you use, uh, again, there's these three Greek words, and uh, presbyteros is normally going to be translated elder, right? So uh, an elder 
Uh, one, uh, there's one time where it's translated presbyter, or if you're reading through the New King James, it'll actually just say eldership. Okay, so there's the elder, there's the bishop or overseer, okay, and then there is the shepherd or the pastor, right? And so those are the three Greek words, and maybe it's easier if you remember it in its English uh, context, elder, overseer, shepherd, but again, there's a, there's a little bit of a, some nuances. D- depending on your translation, you use shepherd will sometimes be pastor. Uh, bishop and overseer uh, are the same word, again, but just translated differently. And then you have the word elder. And so uh, next Sunday, we will jump into what those words mean. Uh, we'll talk about, you know, um, a little bit more about some different aspects of the eldership, that plurality. Right? That there needs to be more than one. Uh, we'll want to talk about you know, who's, uh, as far as you know, who is qualified to be an elder. Um, elders are autonomous and also the responsibilities of elders. And then from there, we will move into what I think uh, you know, we're, we're looking more forward to talking about is sort of the process of how this is all going to uh, take place. And so I appreciate everyone's attention this morning. And Brother Jason's going to have a closing prayer for us.